It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello, friends. I pray you already have had a breakthrough in this new year that you have discovered practical wisdom on how to deal with a distraction, also a way to edify someone you love, and that you've drawn closer to the Lord, the shepherd of your soul. I pray God will make your minds wise, your hearts good, and your motives pure. In this episode, I need to complete my presentation of the moral argument for the existence of God. First, my presentation is different from that William Lane Craig gave in his book On Guard. You may prefer to read Craig's proof. Craig states his argument as follows. Premise one. If God does not exist then objective moral values and duties do not exist. Premise two, objective moral values and duties do exist. Conclusion, therefore God exists. Premise one is logically equivalent to this alternate statement that I label as one prime. If objective moral values and duties exist, then God exists. Craig shows that objective moral values require God. The most popular form of atheism is naturalism, which holds the view that the only things that exist are the things that are described by our best scientific theories. But science is morally neutral. Thus, according to naturalism, Moral values don't really exist. Objective morality is illusory. Then Craig shows objective moral duties require God. On the atheistic view, human beings are just a higher order of animals, and animals have no moral obligations to one another, thus no objective moral duties. My argument appeals to both premise one and its equivalent, one prime. A corollary to my argument is that the reason both theists and atheists can have an objective standard of right and wrong, good and bad, is that God exists as the standard itself. Without God as the standard of morality, There can be no such thing as objective moral values and duties. Stop for a moment and let that sink in. I've already given evidence for the truth of premise one in episode 73. 
In episode 74, I gave seven reasons that support the truth of premise two, that there is an objective moral law. I now give an eighth reason that life would be chaotic without an objective moral law. Think about what the world would be like if for some reason all moral laws suddenly disappeared. We would be faced with the complete breakdown of law and order. Society would collapse. Life as we know it would be impossible. If assault, murder, stealing, lying, cheating, and rape were suddenly permitted, no one would be safe. Without moral laws and the subsequent collapse of society, there would be no one to protect society, no one to detain and incarcerate criminals, no one to hold accountable the criminals, terrorists, murderers, and thieves in the world. Remember the conditions of the countries occupied by the Nazis in World War II. The Holocaust for the Jewish people happened because the Nazis were not restrained by moral laws. The identity politics in the U.S. now is opening up our society to the potential of some coalition of groups doing to another coalition what the Nazis did to the Jews. It all depends on who has the power. The ninth reason supporting the truth of premise two is the following. In our culture, when a problem is identified, the normal recommended remedy for the solution of that problem is education. The major fallacy with that purported remedy is this. Education without morality is useless. The Holocaust survivors observed their captors and the killers of their family members were very well-educated people. Remember that at that time, Germany was the most educated nation in the world. But that fact did not protect those who were either starved shot, or gassed. Regarding moral laws, I recommend a video on YouTube called The Fall of Atheism by Norman Geisler. I also recommend an article entitled C.S. Lewis and Eight Reasons for Believing in Objective Morality by Stephen S. Jordan on the website moralapologetics.com. Let me comment on one of those eight reasons. Someone might say he believes in moral relativism. However, the moment he is mistreated, he will react as if such a moral standard actually exists. The proof is in the way they expect others to act toward them. In order to discover if a person really believes it is good to be just, Do not look at the way he acts toward others, nor to the way he says he would act. Look instead at the way he reacts when others do something to him. One tactic to bring out the fact that the moral relativist actually believes in a moral law is this. Rather than arguing with them for morality, 
Instead, do something to get the person to confront his own moral intuition. We then ask him to make sense out of his reaction in light of his avowed relativism. The basic point is, despite the moral relativist's disavowal of objectivity, morality is built into each individual because we are made in God's image and God has given us all a conscience. The moral relativist may deny it, but it comes out from its hiding place with the proper motivation. In his book, Christian Apologetics, Norman Geisler suggests this approach. He says, the quickest way to convince the moral relativistic student that he really believes in the principle of fairness is to give him a failing grade on something that is important to him, say on a term paper. And you tell him you gave him that grade simply because you don't like the color of the folder in which his work was enclosed. If the student claims it isn't fair, then we know his soliloquy about relativism is only a smokescreen to avoid the responsibility to an objective moral law. The atheist, Louise Anthony, agrees with Goshler. She told William Lane Craig, I was a teacher and all my students would have objected if I randomly assigned grades without regard to their work. The way to convince a moral relativist that stealing is an absolute moral law is to take something from him that he thinks is valuable, like a stereo or a wristwatch. You will learn more by his reaction than by his assertions. You will discover very quickly he doesn't really believe in relativism because in truth, morality is built into our individual system. I claim moral relativism is self-defeating. The assertion that ethical values and duties or merely subjective, is self-contradictory, like all other statements of relativism and skepticism. For the relativist is telling us that we have an objective moral obligation to agree with relativism, while at the same time telling us that no one has a moral obligation to do anything at all. Relativists regularly make this error. David Hume and logical positivism promoted by A.A. Ayer et al. have verification principles that essentially say that nothing is true unless it can be verified by science. But those principles were not verified by science. Thus, the verification principles fail to meet their own criteria. Jean-Paul Sartre argued vehemently against objective values, but he also demanded that we admire those who live authentically by affirming their own freedom and creating their own meaning. If authentic existence is not an objective value, 
why should we admire it? And if it is an objective value, then Sartre has refuted himself. I believe moral laws are absolute. Allow me to give you my thinking. Premise one, moral laws are either relative or absolute. Premise two, moral relativism is false. Conclusion, therefore, moral laws are absolute. Premise one of this argument is obviously true. And I've just finished proving premise two. So moral laws are absolute. Absolute is obviously objective. With this, I now have finished my proof of the moral argument showing the existence of God. Now let's shift gears and turn our attention to the three views that show how different worldviews deal with the problem of evil and the implications regarding the existence of God. It appears that everyone experiences evil. It comes in various forms, pain, suffering, disease, disaster, death, hopelessness, etc. Everyone seeks to know the answer to questions like, is there any purpose to pain? If God is all good and all powerful, why is there evil in the world? Why did my baby die? Why was the city of New Orleans inundated by floods from Hurricane Katrina? Why did the devastating tornadoes ravage the states of Arkansas, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, Ohio, and Tennessee in 2021? Why do so many people die from drought and starvation? These are the questions that arise when one wishes to discuss the problem of evil and God. Three basic answers have been offered. One, atheism affirms evil and denies God. Two, pantheism affirms God and denies evil. And three, theism affirms both God and evil. I have been addressing the atheistic view over several different episodes of this program. On the negative side, I've shown that all atheistic disproofs of God fail. In particular, the arguments by Jean-Paul Sartre, David Hume, Bertrand Russell, Christopher Hitchens, and Richard Dawkins are easily refuted. These people are highly educated and are extremely facile in their rhetorical skills, but sometimes they allow their rhetoric to pull the wool over their own eyes. The new atheists, for example, have branded themselves as the party of reason with a capital R. Dawkins leads his foundation for reason, and Sam Harris co-founded Project Reason. Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, and Michael Shermer have gone so far as to argue that atheists should be called brights in light of their insistence on a reasoned approach to all knowledge. Speaking of going too far, 
Dawkins has said in an article entitled Religion's Real Child Abuse that molesting children may be less harmful in the long run than giving children a religious education. I will continue this discussion of the three views about evil and God in the next episode. In the meantime, my challenge to you is know the shepherd. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.